good. That's in Daniel chapter 6. If you uh, need help finding Daniel, just open about halfway through your Bible. You'll probably hit Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going a little bit further back and you'll find, you'll find Daniel. I, I used that video this morning, not just because the kids were with us and served us communion, but uh, that is probably a story that you, if you grew up in Sunday school, that you remember being told the story of Daniel and the lion's den. I think it's probably one of the top three stories that we often tell in children's church or with our, with our kids. Besides Jesus, these are the top three. Uh, think about these stories, David and Goliath, a young man throws a rock at a bully and buries it in his forehead. What a great story for children, right? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, three young men are thrown into a blazing hot furnace. Great children's story, right? And then this one, Daniel and the lion's den, because what is more wholesome and kid-friendly than a story about a senior citizen who has been condemned to death by being eaten alive by lions because he chose to follow God. Isn't that a great children's story that we tell our kids? But it's part of God's word. And, and uh, um, honestly, I, I have shared this with kids and adults probably so many times. And I believe the point most of the time was for us to have that faith like Daniel, be like Daniel. But that's only part of this story. It's only it's only half of this story. The other half is, yes, Daniel had great faith. That's not really the point. The point of this story is, is to show us that God is faithful and that God is worthy of our trust, just like he was for Daniel. Now, Daniel teaches us uh, to take a stand. He teaches us to be firm, but uh, you can't do that unless you have the faith of Daniel. And so we're going to look at this story. Remember back in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends, uh, those young men, uh, had been freshly kidnapped out of Jerusalem. And here in chapter 6, Daniel is now an older man. He's well into his 80s. And for 60 years, Daniel has lived in exile away from his homeland. And he has served uh, at least probably five different kings so far, and the government in Babylon. And so let's read God's word. If you're there, it's Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now, I've always learned this guy's name is Darius, not uh, however he pronounced it, but Darius is how we're going to pronounce him. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So a satrap, think about a satrap as a governor. And so in this case, there's governors over all the individual states, like just like maybe in the United States, but there's an administrator that is serving over a group of governors. So uh, maybe like Daniel would be over the entire Midwest, something like that. So the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, I know we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but Daniel here has been kidnapped. 
He has spent his entire year in captivity in this land of exile, and yet we find him working for the government that forced him into exile. And I wonder about us today. I wonder if we would do the same thing. Would we willingly serve pagans? How would we live in a world that that doesn't share our worldview? But I don't think Daniel is a whole lot different than Christians in today's culture and society. We live in a world that seems to be worshiping other gods than we do, right? This evening, in the Super Bowl, there's going to be worship of a whole lot of things other than God. It's our society. So we're just going to get started here. Go ahead and write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, serve where you're planted. Or in Daniel's case, serve where you are transplanted. Daniel lived in the world, but he kept himself separate from the world and its ideologies. He he served the state, but he didn't worship the state. He he didn't give unquestioningly uh, loyalty to the king. Daniel didn't gather his fellow Jews around and, and form some sort of coup or a revolt And Daniel and his friends became the very part of the government that caused his exile. And yet at the same time, over and over and over again, we see him obeying God while while he is serving. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, the book of Daniel and the book of Jeremiah overlap by a a few years. Jeremiah wrote about this exact same era as Daniel did. The later part of Jeremiah and the first part of Daniel overlap, about 20, 25, 30 years, somewhere around in there. And so this verse that was written about 2,500 years ago could be written for us. It could be written for Pekin and Peoria or the United States. There's a lesson here for us in the 21st century. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If Daniel could find a way to serve well while he was in exile, to to serve the the common good, to give his time and his talents to seeing and making sure that Babylon flourished, well, then I think we could probably do that as well. We can do that. Now, take note, I did not say, I never said compromise, and I never said blend in with a post-Christian culture. But I also didn't say to make a run for it. I didn't say that we should be circling our wagons and isolating ourselves or to stand outside of our culture and shouting at it and yelling at it. Instead, I I said, and I think scripture says that we should serve it and serve well. Number two is obedience to God is for a lifetime. Let's continue with this uh, verse four. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. 
but they were unable to do so. He's serving well. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So if you remember back in chapter one of Daniel and his friends, they have had their location changed against their will. And then they were forced to learn Babylonian culture. They were, they were forced to be educated by the Babylonians and, and learn about uh, uh, the sciences and speak the language of the Babylonians. But if you remember, they also refused to eat the king's food. Now, if we look back at that test when they were young men, maybe that test was easy compared to this one. And as we read the book of Daniel, we've gone through with him and we've seen how he has been tested over and over and over through the years. But now, now Daniel is a member of prime time. Now Daniel is a senior citizen and he's facing one of the greatest tests of his entire life. There's a lesson there for us. Temptation doesn't just come when you are young. They, they may not be the same temptations that you faced when you were young, but temptations still exist. And the idols that are competing for your worship now when you're older are just different shapes and sizes than they were when you were younger. See, obedience to God is not just for the young, it's for all of us. And we need to heed the directions of God and we need to be following Jesus no matter what our age. See, the temptations of the young are usually what I would describe as just don't do the wrong things, right? Um, but temptations, when you get older, the temptation is maybe not to do the right thing. Because the older we get, it seems like the more stuck in our ways we get, myself included, and, uh, but God still seeks obedience, there may be a situation that he is taking you through or, or is directing you towards that he needs you in that situation. And it may not be pleasant at the moment, but he needs you there because you are going to help him advance his kingdom. And he's calling you out of your comfort zone. He's calling you out of the place that you like to spend time into a new adventure. And he does that to the young and he does it to the old. He calls all of us. See, Daniel faced his greatest tests as an 80 plus year old man and he was able to obey God because he did so in his 20s he's able to obey God in his 80s because he did so in his 40s and his 60s and so on Daniel chapter 6 type of faith is made possible because of Daniel chapter 1 faith Daniel chapter 1 obedience so you're, you're never too young to serve the Lord. We, we witnessed that with our, our kids this morning. They did an incredible job of, of serving us communion. Praise the Lord for a church that does that. Um, <clears throat> but you are also not too old to ever serve the Lord either. Part of what you allow us to do with your younger people here at PFN, your children and your teenagers, is to help them to establish these holy habits of obedience now so that when you are older, it's easier to follow God. 
See, our holy habits are progressive through our life. It's compelling, though, for us to be faithful. It's to be trustworthy, to be reliable. We're supposed to show up when we say we're going to show up. We're supposed to be doing a full day's job and to finish without complaint. Your quiet life of not stealing the pencils from work, (laughs) your quiet life of not overestimating your expense claims, your kindness, your thank you notes, your courteous, all of those speak volumes to a very broken world. It is good to be good at your job. It's important to be a man of righteousness in this wicked world. And it's important to be a woman of integrity in this crooked land. But do I think that we as Christians are, are called to do more than just be good workers and, and serve our society? Yes, probably. But we have never, we have never been called to do less. We're always called to be good Christians and to serve our society. We've never been called to do less. So what happens to Daniel? What happened to him could happen to us. Daniel finds himself and he's in line for this promotion, but the others around him aren't in line for the same promotion and they become kind of jealous and they decide, hey, let's just take this matter to the king. Let's... uh, And they try to convince the king to make this irreversible law that says, verse 7, whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And our king says, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that, all right? And so number three, prayer is paramount in our obedience. Prayer is paramount if you and I want to remain obedient to our Lord. Verse 10, let's read this. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That verse in in this story in Daniel chapter 6 is my favorite verse. I like what's coming up. I like the whole Daniel and the lion's den and all that kind of stuff. That's good. That makes for a really great Sunday school story. But verse 10 has become my absolute favorite. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God Now pay attention here, just as he had done before. See, he was faced with not praying to God and facing the lion's dead, or on the other hand, remaining faithful and doing what he has always done. See, I hope this never happens to us, but but think about what would happen, how we would react if the government came to us someday and said, hey, for the next 30 days... Prayer is illegal. You can't pray. If you do pray, you're going to be uh, put to death. Now, I, I, I would think that most of us would pray anyway. I mean, how are people going to know if you're praying if you can pray silently? How would they know? 
right? I can pray without you knowing. Go ahead and try to stop me, right? I can still do that. Every day, my incredible wife gets up. She reads scripture and prays. And some of you, a lot of you, have been on that prayer list. She has brought your name directly to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Carol is known for her prayer schedule. Now, if the government would decide to ban prayer and they would show up at our house at 5.30 in the morning, my wife is going to be arrested because this is her pattern. That's who she is. This is she's doing what God has told her to do. That is her norm. But is that the norm for all of us? Or is Carol just strange in a good way? (laughs) Love you, babe. Since 1962, the Supreme Court has repeatedly ruled that school-mandated prayer in public schools is considered unconstitutional. And much ado has been made over that ruling, and Christians have been upset about that uh, for years now. And we've argued and we've demanded and said that law needs to be changed. And we've thrown great fits about the, the lack of prayers over there and lack of prayer somewhere else, but let's ask ourselves, do we make an equal fuss about the lack of prayer in our own life? The church has stomped our feet and we've wailed because the government has decided that they are going to take the Ten Commandments out of public buildings, but do we carry on when we notice the Ten Commandments are being broken by us? See, folks, I've observed that Oftentimes, pointing fingers at others for their lack of prayer or their lack of obedience is a smokescreen for the lack of it in their own life. And if I'm going to complain about the lack of prayer over there, then I should first examine my own life and make sure that I am the one that is being obedient first. So let's ask ourselves the question, is prayer, is communication to the God of of God's, a Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is communication prayer paramount in my life. See, for Daniel, he didn't let his enemies down. They found him where he always was, praying like he always did. And so his enemies go to the king and they point this out. Let's go to verse 13. They say, hey, Daniel is one of those exiles from Judah and he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to this decree you put into rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And every single Sunday school kid knows that Daniel didn't die in the lion's den. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Because. Because he had trusted his God. Daniel emerged from that pit unharmed because he trusted. Daniel was removed out of that pit unharmed because he obeyed God. Not just while he was in the pit, but before he ever got there. He was lifted out of what should have been Daniel's tomb. It should have been Daniel and the lion's tomb. This should remind us of another story early in the morning and another place of death that had been sealed by a stone and another man that was innocent of the charges against him. The lion's den became a place of deliverance for Daniel just as Jesus' tomb is a place of deliverance. But not just for Jesus himself, it becomes a place of deliverance for all of us that follow him and trust him. Daniel's tomb could not hold him because he was found innocent and blameless before the Lord. Your tomb will not be able to hold you because with Jesus, you too can be found innocent and blameless before the Lord. Your grave may hold your earthly body, but you, because of a trust and a belief and because you follow Jesus at that moment will be more alive than you've ever been in your entire life. Your grave cannot hold you. Your death is not the end. You, by following Jesus, can be found righteous. You, by following Jesus, can be acquitted of the penalty of your sins because you have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we got to celebrate this morning with all of our children when they served us communion. And when God sees that, when he sees that you are covered by the blood of the lamb, he doesn't see your list of sins, but he sees his son, blameless and innocent. Over and over in the book of Daniel, we see him speaking to kings and his message is always the same. There's still time. You can make your decision right now because one day it's going to be too late. The message here is that Jesus has rescued us and he is worthy of our trust and our obedience. And he's asking, or I'm asking, what, is, what do you need to give him in return? Your life? 
Maybe it's that situation that you don't know what to do with. He's here. And he's asking for that, for that from you this morning. So let's bow our heads and go to the only one who is capable of saving us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this story of Daniel. It's a great story of this, uh, of this guy that had great faith in you and did what he always did and prayed and uh, was obedient to you and faced these lions that were supposed to kill him. This was supposed to be his tomb. We thank you for this story, but Lord, remind us that this story really is all about you. It's really all about a God who is trustworthy. It's about a God who has already paid the price for us. It's about our Savior who died on a cross, who paid that penalty for us, whose blood was was spilled for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us enough that you would do that for us even before we've ever come to you and said thanks. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity for all of us this morning to come to you and say, I need that kind of forgiveness. I need you, Lord, to help me. I haven't been obedient. I haven't done everything that you've told me to do, and I've done some things that are just against you. So, Jesus, we can come to you this morning and, and, and ask for that forgiveness. And we can pledge to you that we will follow you all the days of our lives. And, and, Lord, we know that you will walk with us every single day. We also know, Lord, that for many here, there's a situation that we have no control of. Just like Daniel had no control over that lion's den, but he was going to be obedient. And so, Lord, in that situation for Daniel and in the situation that is in our minds that we're struggling with, that we can't change, Lord, we give it to you. And we ask, Lord, in your sovereignty and in your knowledge and within your power, Lord, that you would come to the aid of your children today. We thank you, Lord, that you care for us enough, not just to die on us on a cross, not just to to be risen from your grave, from your tomb, and give us that hope, although those are enough. But Lord, we thank you that you walk with us here and now, and that we have the opportunity to walk with you all of the rest of our days. Lord, would you, would you help us remember that you are trustworthy, and that you are worthy of all of our obedience, but Lord, we need your help. We need your help to do that. So we give you over ourselves. Jesus, take what we have given you and may you bless it. May you bless our lives. May you, may you bless our journey with you. It's all for you and it's all because of you. And we love you, Jesus. And all of us together say, amen.